I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. I hope I sound better this week, guys. Last week, I uh, decided to record in my home office instead of where I usually record, and uh, it didn't connect to my microphone, so I sounded like I was in a closet. So, apologies. It's all good. You always sound wonderful. (laughs) I try. All three cats currently sitting on me, so we're going to see how this goes. Good luck. Yes. Also, happy Halloween. Yay! Yes! This episode is dropping on Halloween. It is a happy bonus episode, so happy Halloween. Um, Please leave some candy out for the children Mm -hmm. or or some toys and trinkets or something. And this is the one night of year I say you have to be nice to children. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Lou. Don't be like, okay, because this happens every year and I see it on like, am I the asshole? And like, the advice columns. So if you live in a nicer neighborhood and the kids from outside the neighborhood come and trick or treat in your neighborhood, give don't be candy. a dick. Just give them candy. Don't be a dick. Just give them candy. Just be glad, you know, just enjoy the camaraderie in the community. And I don't know, don't be a dick. And don't, I mean, check the candy, obviously. But stoners are not going to give your kids their pot you, candy on I purpose. Am not, no, not on purpose. I paid forty five dollars for a candy bar. I'm not giving that to anybody. No, <laughs> I no. have been piecing it out like I'm in Soviet Poland. Okay, <laughs> I'm like rationing that shit. It's probably gone bad because I've like it's taken me a year to get through it. <laughs> Well, it was like one fucking asshole back in the 70s has ruined the party for everyone. And that was him killing his kid. Okay. And here's the thing, too, is I know that your cousin's uncle's stepmother's baby daddy's sister-in-law found a razor blade in their candy or found drugs in their candy no they didn't no they didn't they did not if they yeah. had found a razor blade in candy at any time in history we would have documentation of it in every newspaper out the wazoo exactly one person has poisoned somebody with candy and that was him killing his kids for life insurance yes. yeah yeah so where are the giant pixie sticks oh my god so my (laughs) my english teacher one of my english teachers in high school who was also our journalism teacher um she's what set me on my path i should i don't know whether to thank her or curse her hi miss wigington i know you're not listening to this um but she always kept candy because she was also student council sponsor so she had those giant pixie sticks. <laughs> and so we would always be like, Miss Wigington. And she's like, okay, you can have one. <laughs> but there was one girl, Jennifer. Um, she had a little too much fun on the pixie sticks. And we had to hide them because <laughs> she was like a crackhead. <laughs> the pixie sticks. I'm still friends with her on Facebook. She's very sweet. She has like five kids. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
put some of them back. Jeez. I know, girl. Oh, I mean, <laughs> so they're going to be nice to children, and then here I am. Put them they're back. all literally like Return her, her clones. It is crazy. Terrifying. Terrifying. Okay. Uh, speaking Enough of- about my high school classmates. <laughs> yeah. Listen, everyone's high school classmates are terrifying. Yes. Um. I don't know where I was going with that. Speaking of terrifying, because really the only, only other news I have is either sad or um, kind of cool. So um, let's go with sad and then we'll try to yes. go to something cool. I am really, really upset about um, actor Leslie Jordan's passing. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, I've loved him for forever. He was and my favorite part of Will and Grace. He, his performance as um, brother boy in sorted lives the movies and tv show oh my god i mean in sorted lives he just because he wants to be tammy Wynette, he sings my favorite tammy Wynette song all through and it just gives me life and i'm just gonna miss that man so much he was so I funny know. and he got um, us through early lockdown i mean yeah he was a rock star yeah for sure so was, i'm really sad about his passing he was the best so Very sad. yeah all the love to him and his family um to lighten things up really quickly i wanted to mention um i went to nashville not halloween weekend because this time travel's not possible yet <laughs> um but the weekend before halloween um i went to see jason isbell and amanda shires at the ryman so shout out to them for being amazing but also um my friend Chrissy and I, shout out Chrissy, uh, went to, first of all, a quilt show, which was rad, radder than you might expect. And then we went to Spring Hill Cemetery in Nashville. Now, let me say I've been to a couple of cemeteries in Nashville, um, but this was my, well, my, technically my second time at Spring Hill. And like, as soon as you go in, there's all of these like huge country music stars right there like kitty wells and her husband and earl scruggs and hank snow roy acuff like some of the big wigs that really got the country music genre up and going but what was funny was toward the back um chrissy was like while i was out there taking pictures of other dead people chrissy was like oh who what, what's that back there and i was like oh i forgot to tell you that's the tennessee pride kid so if you eat Tennessee pride sausage or if you know what that is you know there's a little boy on the on the logo whatever yeah. that looks like he's going fishing they have the whole Tennessee pride family is buried at this uh, cemetery in Nashville and they have a monument up of the Tennessee pride kid like hmm. of all the things to see in a cemetery it's the Tennessee pride kid and it just I don't know it made my life and then it turns out the guy that started Tennessee pride sausage is kind of a hottie and so that was <laughs> and was, Tennessee pride is some damn good sausage it is and so I was like that's just cool like okay and then um the cemetery also out there at the cemetery there were a lot of other music people that i love um floyd kramer who's an incredible pianist uh is out there and keith whitley the country music star oh, who yeah. is going to be inducted into the country music hall of fame this year oh, Bless him. Bless and him. my favorite who i almost cried over was bobby hebb he wrote and recorded a song called sunny in the 60s and it may low-key be my favorite song of all time and i collect covers of it because 
hashtag nerd. <laughs> and God, that was so cringy, wasn't it? I bet every Gen Z kid was like, oh God, she said hashtag. Oh. Anyway. Um, when we him. were your age, it was the pound sign. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, either way, I got to see Bobby Hebb's grave and that was very important to me. Um, but either way, I just wanted to say, hey, I've been to a uh, to a cemetery lately that was not Elmwood and it was wonderful. And Love um, it. good times. Yay. So either way, Happy Halloween again. This week, we are bringing you a bunch of stories. Um, so this is spooky story time hour. Yes. yes. With the Cemetery Row Girls. I don't know who's going first. Okay. I yeah. I, I, yeah, that's what I was thinking. How many do you have, Hannah? Um, I'm like re-looking at what I've pulled. And I'm thinking maybe two, at the most three. Okay, so I have three. So why don't I go first, then Hannah, then Sheena, cool. and then we'll go back to and just wrap it up that way. Yeah, that yeah. works. Okay, cool. So I, yes, yes, I have decided to kind of take a page out of my book from last episode where I talked about the origin of the Taylor Poe because I mentioned that. Uh, it was featured, or a version of that story was featured in one of the terrifying, scary stories to tell in the dark volumes. Um, and I've decided I was just going to read some stories from the scary stories anthology that were absolutely terrifying to me as a child. Not so much now when I go back and read them. Now it's those illustrations that haunt my <laughs> nightmares. Um, so we're going to start with a story from volume one. Alvin Schwartz was the author of these stories. The Wendigo. Ooh. A wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada where few people had ever hunted. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him, but no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. Finally, he found a Native American who needed money badly, and he agreed to take him. His name was DeFago. They made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, a windstorm came up. They lay in their tent listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent flap. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees were standing perfectly still. Yet he could hear the wind howling, and the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling DeFago's name. DeFago, it called. DeFago. I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But DeFago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about? The hunter asked. It's nothing, DeFago said. But the wind continued to call to him, and DeFago became more tense and more restless. DeFago, it called. DeFago. <laughs> Suddenly, he jumped to his feet, and he began to run from the tent. But the hunter grabbed him and wrestled him to the ground. You can't leave me out here, the hunter shouted. Then the wind called again, and DeFago broke loose and ran into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again, he cried, Oh, my fiery feet, my burning feet of fire. 
Then his voice faded away and the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunter followed DeFago's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down toward the lake, then out onto the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The steps DeFago had taken got longer and longer. They were so long no human could have taken them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but there they disappeared. At first he thought DeFago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought something had pulled him off the ice into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling as it had the night before. Then he heard DeFago's voice. It was coming from up above, and again he heard DeFago screaming, my fiery feet, my burning feet, but there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to camp and packed. Then he left some food for DeFago and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following week, he went back to hunt in that area again. He wanted this. He went to the same trading post to look for a guide. The people there could not explain what had happened to DeFago that night, but they had not seen him since. Maybe it was the Wendigo, one of them said, and he laughed. It's supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky and it drops you. It's just a crazy story, but that's what some of the natives say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. A Native American came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him and he wore his hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought there was something familiar about him. He walked over and asked, are you DeFago? The Native American didn't answer. Do you know anything about him? No answer. He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? He asked. No answer. To get a look at him, he lifted the man's hat. Then he screamed. There was nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. Ooh. The end. Yes. Jesus. Yes. Good choice, Lou Hugh. Yes. Not not a version of the Wendigo story I've heard. Um, and I mean, who in their right mind would go hunting somewhere where it would take you weeks to get back to civilization? Yeah. No and then why the, why the fuck would you go back there? <laughs> Ugh, no. So, so, yes, that is story number one. So, Hannah, what you got for us? Okay. So I know we discussed <laughs> being nice to children, but we're going to go into some creepy children here. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> um, this one's a pretty internet famous one, but I do enjoy it. Cool. My daughter woke me up around 1150 last night. My wife and I had picked her up from her friend's birthday party, brought her home and put her to bed. My wife had gone to sleep and I was watching and I fell asleep watching the baseball game. Daddy, she whispered, tugging at my sleeve. Guess how old I'm going to be next month. I don't know, sweetheart, I said as I slipped on my glasses. How old? She smiled and held up four fingers. It's 730 now. and My wife have been up with her for almost eight hours. She still refuses to tell us where she got them. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I saw that one going. Oh my goodness. 
Okay. And this is second one, more creepy children. Yay. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I am lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destinations like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine, considering he is confined to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one more chance. Of course, they did at first. Charlie has been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. And every time, without fail, it starts again. Neighborhood pets show up with eyes gouged out in his toy chest. My dad's razors are found on the baby slide in the park across the street. Mom's vitamins are replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake being normal, and to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking that he is well. That I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he is back, or they'll know it was me. <laughs> Can I just say Lori's face during all of that was priceless? Like, like these are the ones I love where there's a fucking twist at the end, and all the yes. ones I was looking up didn't have like they weren't. Uh, it's like the the show out two sentence horror stories. Yeah. Yes, I love those. It's like that, yep. and it's like yep. oh, those are great. Good, good, good. You're gonna have so, to read a third one now because I've got two more, and I don't want to be hogging the air the airwaves. So, well, um, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, I can dig up a third one. Sheena, you read yours, and okay. then Lori will read, and then I will I'll close this out. Yeah. Sounds well, no, good I've me. got I've got two more, so I'll have okay. to go after you. But anyway, cool. All, All right, right Sheena, what you got? What you got? Picture it, Somerset, <laughs> Kentucky, June 1938. Ooh. Ooh. A man named Carl Pruitt lived in Kentucky with his wife, Mary. They had a very simple, quiet life. She was a homemaker, of course. It's 1938, and he was a mechanic. Um, but one afternoon in June, Carl came home from work and discovered his wife, Mary, in bed with <gasps> another man. Oh, oh Mary. No. Yeah. So Carl was enraged. Uh, Mary's lover jumped out of a window and escaped but carl and his wife started to fight and they it's ugly it's a bad terrible screaming match and then carl grabbed a chain and used it to strangle mary oh goodness man and after she fell onto the floor dead he went into the couple's bedroom found his pistol and completed suicide with a shot to the head oof now, Mary and Carl's families were obviously stunned and devastated to hear about this tragic murder-suicide um, that seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. No one really knew Mary was having this, um, this affair. So they insisted, though, that the, the couple be buried in separate cemeteries. Mary would go be buried out at the Old Muse Cemetery near some family, and Carl would be buried at the main Pulaski Cemetery in town. So, um, cause they were in Pulaski County. 
Uh, they were both given a proper burial with headstones, all that good stuff. But in the years following the tragedy, visitors to the Pulaski Cemetery, where Carl was buried, started noticing a strange stain on his monument. And the stain looked like a chain, links and all, and it weaved across the length of the stone. So as the years passed, obviously, um, Carl's tombstone and this terrible murder or suicide turned into a bit of an urban legend. So the kids, of course, were telling these stories that were, you know, slightly apocryphal, you know, like kind of, there's a little bit of truth to them, but a lot of fake uh, info in there too. Um, but also rumor had it, if you like touched Carl's grave or even tried to clean the chain shaped stain from it that carl would oh, grab you by the I wrist you. and you would die oh no you can't oh, hear me. now i can hear you okay good so yeah so Car- if you went up to carl's grave and you touched his grave he would grab you by the wrist and you'd die right um so naturally kids dared other kids to run up to the tombstone and touch it you know you know how kids are of course Well, one afternoon, about 15 years or so after the murder-suicide, there was a group of boys that were riding their bikes near the cemetery, and the kids uh, stopped for a break under the shade of an elm tree, and they're kind of chilling, hanging out the way little boys do, and they see Carl's monument a few feet away, and there was a little boy named James Collins, and he was dared to run up to the tombstone and touch it, but he was, of course, too scared to do that. So instead, he got kind of mad and he was like, eh, you know, he didn't say it was BS, but he was kind of like, nah, it's nothing to it. So he threw some rocks at Carl's monument and chipped it a little bit. Um, and the boys all laughed and they, you know, went back to play and they went to ride their bikes and they start going home. But James, on the way home, um, his neighbor saw him yelling as his bike just sort of went out of control on the sidewalk like it he couldn't stop it seemed like his brakes were out and before anyone could get to him uh james's bike ran into a tree and the sprocket chain tore loose and somehow wrapped around james's neck and strangled. oh man this is some final destination shit no kidding So James's friends were horrified, obviously, at what happened to their friend, but they insisted that this was because of Carl, that he had messed with Carl's grave. And so clearly this was Carl's revenge. Well, of course, a lot of the adults in town are like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But James's mother, who was also named Mary, by the way, uh, she didn't handle her son's death well at all, as you can imagine. And she didn't understand how a simple bicycle accident could have ended the way it did. So a week after James's death, in a fit of rage and grief, she went out to the cemetery one night in the middle of the night. And she's sobbing and she's upset. And she starts attacking Carl's monument, thinking, you know, this is what caused her son's death. And she's got the family axe and she's just going to town on it. Like, you know, screaming. The family and axe everyone has one yeah <laughs> you I mean well they did in the 19 whatever's 40s because you know i don't know it's the 1940s either way so the stone was really damaged and mary was just sobbing she just couldn't do it any you know couldn't hack it anymore literally <laughs> you know what i mean she physically was worn out so she's just like i give up i go home and and you know whatever so the next day um she had told her husband what she did but he was like 
well, I don't blame you, you know, whatever. And he's telling her, he's like, you know, you got to get back into a routine and just get back to what you're doing and try to find some normalcy. So she's working on the family's laundry and she's um, working out on the line outside in their backyard, but she tripped and fell. And in an attempt to grab onto something to like break her fall, she grabbed the clothesline. And it wrapped around her neck. And in her attempt to get away, the line tightened and strangled her. Oh, my God. My goodness. Fucking Carl. (laughs) Now, Thomas Collins, who was uh, Mary's husband and James's father, told people what his wife had done to Carl Stone. But when they went out to the cemetery to see you know, how damaged it was, it was actually perfectly fine. So a lot of people thought maybe she dreamed that she did this or something. They were like, no, the the stone's okay. Well, a couple of weeks later, there was a local farmer named Jesse Abbott, and he was riding his horse down the road because, you know, this is Kentucky, and um, he's going near the cemetery. And his heart had just been really hurting about James and Mary Collins. He was like, you know, it's terrible that this little boy died and his mama died and there's this haunted grave. And he didn't really know him very well, but it just the whole story made him sad. And the more he thought about it, as the more he passed the cemetery, the more he just got really mad. So he rode his horse over to the cemetery and shot at Carl's tombstone, which, you know, caused some damage. But the shot's. Uh, spooked his horse which ran and bucked and jesse was holding on tight to those reins but he had not tied the reins very well to the horse and the reins come off and he's thrown him down an embankment and the reins managed to choke him and kill him jesus oh christ this is getting ridiculous is Carl. it is it oh my so, lord Neighbors who saw this because they, I mean, this was a beautiful Sunday afternoon or something. They were like, you know, they saw the bullet hit the stone, but when they went to see the stone later, there was no damage. So by now, as you can imagine, rumors are just running rampant about Carl's grave because we have these, what, four deaths, um, you know, within a couple of weeks of each other. So one night, two officers um, for the local sheriff's department, Mr. Roscoe Brown and Ernest Davis, were in the area, and they decided to go to the grave that was causing the city all this fuss. They were just patrolling one night, so they're like, oh, let's just go down there and see what the big deal is. So they get out of their patrol car, and they walk around the grave. Roscoe gets out his little camera (laughs) and takes some pictures of the grave, thinking, oh, there'll be something ghosty that shows up on this. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Well, they get back in their patrol car. They check in with dispatch. They're like, oh, we're out here at the cemetery, just, you know, messing around. But they go to leave and a light is following them. And they're kind of like, was there a car in the cemetery? Like, what's going on here? So they freak out and they start driving out of the cemetery. But the light is like coming up behind them really, really quickly. So Roscoe, who's driving, freaks out and he speeds up and he's trying to lose this light because he's like, whoa, what is going on? But he lost control of the patrol car and they ran off the road and into a fence. And Ernest was okay, a little banged up, but okay. But Roscoe had been ejected because he didn't have time to put his seatbelt on. And he was nearly beheaded 
by the chain fence that surrounded the cemetery. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so after the officer's deaths, the cemetery where Carl was buried was closed for burials because as you can imagine, once Carl was buried there, a lot of people were like, I don't want to really be buried there with a the killer. And then especially after all of this happened, people really didn't want to be buried there. So eventually the cemetery became overgrown and uh, as the city changed and people moved closer to the other side of the cemetery, or I'm sorry, the other side of the city to find more work, it just became lost. So eventually it got paved over. So ever since then, there have been no more uh, chain related deaths in Pulaski County. Yeah. Wow. And as far as we know, Carl is resting in peace. Damn. Damn, Carl. All the fuckery and shenanigans over there, man. <laughs> so um, that is a legend. Mm-hmm. I added to it here and there, but mm-hmm. that is a legend. So, like, if you go online, you can find pictures of, quote unquote, Carl. I oh, love wow. it. Like, because I found this story months ago and I was like, I'm telling you something. Yes, I can't believe there are so many deaths. I've never heard of this. I got gullible Sheena. <laughs> oh, I love it. And and there were like 10 other deaths in that. Like if you read, there's different versions. Of course, there's like 20 other deaths that happened. But I just thought it was cool. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to shorten this and I'm going to have fun with it. So I added a couple details here and there, but that was made up. But I tried to make I it sound it. like it wasn't. Yeah. Wow. So. Love it. Carl, fucking shit up from beyond the grave. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Who's next? Well, I, I'm, I've got one. Yay. This is also from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Volume Ooh. 1. This is The Haunted House. Yeah. One time, a preacher went to see if he could put a haunt to rest at a house in his settlement. The house had been haunted for about 10 years. Several people had tried to stay there all night, but they always would be scared out by the haunt. So this preacher took his Bible and went to the house, went on in, built himself a good fire and lit a lamp, sat there reading the book. Then just before midnight, he heard something start up in the cellar, walking back and forth, back and forth, over and over again. Then it sounded like somebody was trying to scream and got choked off. Then there was a lot of thrashing and struggling, and finally everything got quiet. The old preacher took up his Bible once again, But before he could start reading, he heard footsteps coming up the cellar stairs. He sat watching the door down to the cellar, and the footsteps kept coming closer and closer. He saw the doorknob turn, and when the door slowly began to open, he jumped up and hollered, What do you want? (laughs) The door shut back easy-like, and there wasn't a sound. The preacher was trembling a little, but he finally opened the book and read a while. Then he got up and laid the book open on the chair and went on mending the fire. Then the haunt started walking and again and uh, walking again and step, step, step up the cellar stairs. The old preacher sat watching the door, seeing the doorknob turn and the door open. It looked like a young woman. He backed up and said, who are you? What do you want? The haunt sort of swayed like she didn't know what to do. Then she just faded out. The old preacher waited, waited, and when he didn't hear any more noises, he went over and shut the door. He was sweating and trembling all over, but he was a brave man, and he thought that he'd be able to see it through. So he turned his chair to where he could watch, and he sat down and waited. It wasn't long before the stomp. Let's 
try that again, shall we? (laughs) It wasn't long before he heard the haunt start up again. Slowly, step, 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 closer and closer, step, step. And it was right at that, the door. The preacher stood up and held the Bible out before him. Then the knob slowly turned and the door opened wide. This time the preacher spoke quiet like he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who are you and what do you want? The haunt came right across the room straight to him and took hold of his coat. It was a young woman about 20 years old. Her hair was torn and tangled and the flesh was dropping off her face so that you could see the bones and part of her teeth. She had no eyeballs, but there was a sort of blue light way back into her eye sockets and she had no nose on her face. Then she started talking. It sounded like her voice was coming and going with the wind blowing it. She told him how her lover had killed her for her money and buried her in the cellar. She said if the preacher would dig up her bones and bury her properly, she could rest. Then she told him to take the end joint of her little finger from her left hand and to lay it in the collection plate at the next meeting. And he'd find out who murdered her. Man, what's with these cut off fingers? I know. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, if you come back here once more after that, you'll hear my voice at midnight and I'll tell you where my money is hid and you can give it to the church. The haunt sobbed like she was tired and she sunk down toward the floor and was gone. The preacher found her bones and buried them in the graveyard. The next Sunday, the preacher put the little finger bone in the collection plate And when a certain man happened to touch it, it stuck to his hand. The man jumped and was rubbed and scraped and tore at the bone, trying, trying to get it off. Then he went to screaming like he was going crazy. Well, he confessed to the murder and they took him to jail. (laughs) After the man was hung, the preacher went back to the house one, that house one midnight. And the haunt's voice told him to dig under the heath rock, hearth rock. He did, and he found a big sack of money. And when the haunt had held on, and where that haunt had held onto his coat, the print of those bony fingers was burned right into the cloth. It never did come out. Ooh, nice! I love it. All right, nice Hannah, did you creepy. find a, did you yes. find another one for us? I've got a couple of short ones. Yeah, going to be super short. Yes, um, and terrifying so gather around here for it okay um any young folk who are listening this one will talk about rolls of film uh back in the day (laughs) that is how we took pictures and then we hoped that the person at Eckerd's or Rite Aid did not call the cops on us for whatever happened to be on those films what kind of pictures were you taking I wouldn't do anything wrong but you know uh-huh other people yeah okay so this one and this is from creepypasta so a few months ago a friend of mine who is an up-and-coming nature photographer decided to spend a day and night alone in the woods outside of our town she wanted to get photos of the woods and wildlife as naturally as she could for her portfolio she wasn't afraid of being alone as she had camped by herself many times before she set up the tent in the middle of a small clearing and spent the day taking pictures. She filled up four rolls of film on that trip. But when she got them developed, she saw four pictures that unsettled her. These four pictures were taken from inside of the tent of her 
asleep in the middle of the night? Nope. (laughs) I've heard something similar to that where it's like you look at your phone the next morning and there's all these pictures of yourself asleep. Nope. 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 That is that very concept is terrifying. Okay. Yes. And this one is also a creepypasta and it's called The Trap. If I have nightmares tonight, Donna, <laughs> in Berlin after World War II, money was short, supplies were tight, and it seemed like everyone was hungry. At that time, people were telling the tale of a young woman who saw a blind man picking his way through a crowd. The two started to talk. The man asked her for a favor. Could she deliver this letter to the address on the envelope? Well, it was on her way home, so she agreed. She started to deliver the message when she turned around to see if there was anything else the blind man needed. But she spotted him hurrying through the crowd without his smoked glasses or white cane. She was naturally suspicious, so she went to the police. When the police paid a visit to the address on the envelope, they made a gruesome discovery. Three butchers had been harvesting human flesh and selling it to the starving people. And what was in the envelope the woman, the man gave to the woman? A note that simply said, this is the last one I'm sending you today. Oh, no. <laughs> you both made the same face. Okay. That's a good one. I've got two more short ones. Okay. And these are, well, you know, they're a little brutal. So sorry about that. You brutal? Me? The gremlin? I know. <laughs> In rural southern Illinois, a toy company began selling realistic baby dolls to expectant mothers. But apparently, after the mother had her child, the toy baby would start crying. Eventually, the rocking motion advertised to calm it down wouldn't work, and you couldn't get it to stop without shaking it. Eventually, when it started crying, the parent would have to beat it. And even then, the beatings and thrashings would have to get harder and harder to get it to be quiet. The only thing that seemed to shut the baby doll up was bashing its head against the wall to destroy whatever mechanism triggered the crying. On more than one occasion, though, neighbors called authorities to report child abuse. And when the police arrived, they found the bloody remains of infants smeared across the walls and the floor. In most cases, the mother couldn't understand why the police were there. She said that she'd just gotten rid of that stupid doll as she rocked a baby-shaped bundle in her arms. No! (laughs) Okay. Ah! And one one final one. This is called The Bad Dream. Daddy, I had a bad dream. You blink your eyes open and pull up on your elbows. Your clock glows in the darkness. It is 3.32 a.m. Do you want to climb into bed and tell me about it? No, Daddy. The oddness of the situation wakes you up more fully. You can barely make out your daughter's pale form in the darkness of your room. Why not, sweetheart? Because in my dream, when I told you about the dream, the thing wearing mommy's skin sat up. (laughs) For a moment, you feel paralyzed. You cannot take your arms off your daughter. The covers behind you begin to shift. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, we're going to end it with a really fucked up one that I know Ooh. everyone is going to hate me for, but this was just 
I couldn't, this was the one story that horrified me and just gave me just the worst nightmares. So you're welcome. <laughs> this is the story Harold from Scary Yay! Stories to Tell in the Dark, Volume 3. More tales. Your bones. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, it was boring. All day, the two men tended their cows. At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. <laughs> they made a doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. Then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they gave it Harold's name. Each morning on their way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, how are the vegetables growing in the garden today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> they would both laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him, even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. Ooh. How do you like that stew, Harold? He would ask. Well, you better eat it or else. Then the two men would howl with laughter. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Ter Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him in the fire, and that will be that, Thomas said. Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave them behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then the doll grunted, but that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and were making those sounds. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden, and each night they brought him back in the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, Alfred replied. We have been up here on this mountain for too long. The next morning, while they were eating, Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He Ooh. climbed right on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and all night, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what to do next. They were <laughs> afraid. I'd say. 
<laughs> they decided to take the cows down into the valley that very same day. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had only gone a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Get new stools, motherfuckers. Exactly. <laughs> Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. Ugh. There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see who would go back. It could it was Thomas on the roof, you morons. Exactly. I'll Have catch up with you, Robert? he said. And Alfred walked toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry <laughs> in the sun. <laughs> the end. Justice for Harold. Those guys were jerks. They were assholes. Like poor Harold. And they were stupid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They got. They had it coming. If there they is a supernatural coming. scarecrow, you do not work worry about the milking stools. No. No. no you don't. You just make some or just sit on your butt and right. <laughs> milk them that way. Oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, do it like cheerleader style. Like somebody gets on all fours <laughs> and you sit on their back. Yes. No, no, absolutely not. That the illustrations are what really made the these books just. Yes. Terrifying. So good. Uh, the stories. Yes, there were some creepy ones. And Harold with the, the illustration terrified me as a child. I think this was the scariest one I remember. Um, but yeah, no. Don't fuck with dolls of exactly. any kind. Of yeah. any kind. Yeah, I that's love for sure. it. Cool. Well, we hope Ooh, you enjoyed. Yes, this was fun. Yes. Spooky story spectacular. Spooky story spooktacular. Anyway. I love it. Um, we'll be back in two weeks, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Or whatever. More fun. At some point with stories behind murder ballads. Yes. Thank you, Sheena, for the idea the other week. Yes. Yes. I love me a good murder ballad. Mm -hmm. We do Um, love a murder ballad. So, Luhu, where can they find us? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. So thank you for tuning in. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell your friends about us. And we'll meet you at the cemetery next week. Have a good Halloween. Yes, spooky season. Woo. Woohoo. Bye. Bye. Bye.